DJ PK and Dylan Cauley, former BYU wide receiver, joining us, which doesn't really do justice, and we will get to that in just a moment. Dylan joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of the Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Dylan, good morning. Morning, fellas. How we doing? Good. Dylan, I've been trying to reconstruct the last decade of your life and your playing career because I think that you have done a great job of crossing paths with all the stories we're dealing with, and we want to thank you for that. Good work. Hey, that's what I'm here for. It's a valiant effort. A lot of time spent, a lot of moving, but here we are. All worthwhile. Okay, so let's go through the resume and make sure I've tracked this right. 2012... You're in the BYU program. You're a freshman, and Broncos the head coach, right? Correct. 2013 and 14, you're on a mission. You're out of college football. You're back in 2015. You go to Hawaii and play for Norm Chow, who used to be on our show weekly, right? Yes, sir. And then you have the coaching change. Rolovich comes in. You're there with him for two years in 2016 and 17, and that's why you were able to give us a lowdown on the Utah-Washington State Rolovich stuff last week. Correct. And then you transfer back to BYU in 2018, and you play for Kalani, and now we can ask you about Kalani and Bronco because you played for them both, and they're about to go head-to-head. Way to go, Dylan. You're Absolutely. Man. <laughs> Way to throw yourself. Just a journeyman. <laughs> Way to throw yourself in the middle of all the stories. So it was freshman <laughs> Dylan who saw Bronco, and then it was senior veteran, return missionary, well-traveled, double transfer, working on his fourth coach. So I get that you see... Kalani at a different time in your life with different experiences and all that. But I am curious how they're the same and how they're different from the fan perspective and the media's perspective. We get that, but when you're in a weight room, in a film room, in a practice with them, in a locker room, you know, halftime speech, you see stuff we don't get to see. So delving into that stuff, what have they got in common and what's different? Yeah, I think one of the main things that they have in common is their genuine care for the the individual player um you know and the well-being outside of football they both approach it very differently um in their personalities but uh, one of the things that you kind of noticed and saw from the very beginning of whether it be the recruiting process or even just being a part of the team uh, the love that they have for the individuals is bar none um probably you know greater than most people uh, even outside of coaching <laughs> and so that is something in you know quite possibly outside of maybe that love that genuine love and appreciation for BYU um, I mean I, I to be honest with you I think there's you're not looking at two more different people um, you know in in a coaching career in a personality and in, in, in a perspective aspect they're, they are very, very different than they are common. So when you were there, what type of level of respect did the players have for Bronco? Uh, a ton. It was, it was extremely high, high respect. Obviously, right, when you talk about someone who wants to put you and wants to keep that level un, of uncomfort to make sure that you are progressing, Bronco Mendenhall is that guy. Uh, he has a very unique way of ensuring that the discipline on the football field um, and off the football field is, is taken to that next level. And 
that was at the time what BYU needed and it worked for the personalities that were within the program. As we look at today's culture and today's day and age and what Kalani has been able to do in that transition period, I mean, we're going from what was Gary Croton's experience and almost on the opposite side when it came to the values and what you know BYU was hoping to achieve out of the culture aspect and what message they wanted to push, you know, I think everyone understands Coach Croton was on the completely other side. And so Bronco came in as a way to bring it back. And to a lot of people, it was on the complete opposite side. <laughs> For me personally, I think Kalani does a very good job and because the time was right, balancing that right in the middle right. and ensuring that the values and standards of BYU is still the priority, but you know, football, football matters. Football is fun. Football is exciting. Uh, and there's that, that level of joy that comes from it. Yeah, see, I think that's very perceptive, Dylan, because I keep saying that Bronco, and I was working for the newspaper at the time, and I was the beat guy, so I'm down there every day, and you had more, way more access than you have now uh, mm-hmm. anyway, so you got to know people in the program, you got to know the coaches a lot better, and the idea of Bronco was the right man at the right time, I think, is what sums it up for what the program needed at that time. He was the man. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, there wasn't a better guy for what that, the goal of the time was. Um, and I think he achieved that. Yes. We've been talking about Matt Wells getting fired at uh, Texas Tech in the middle of his third mm-hmm. year when his second year was COVID year. Recruiting's all out of whack. Games are out of whack. Everything's crazy. And I want to kind of contrast that to Kalani growing into the job. I think anyone who listens to him talk now versus two years ago versus his first year on the job, it's clear he's growing into the job. Now, not every job is there to be grown into, right? There are some jobs where you got to come in, hit the ground, and deliver. But I also think there are times you make hires and you know you have to let this person grow into the job. It's their first head coaching job in the case of Kalani, or maybe it's at a school with a whole different recruiting base and budget and staffing and all that, whatever it is. And I'm curious what you think from what you're seeing with Kalani now and what you saw when you were in the locker room, how is Kalani changing and growing? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the focus that he has put on the head coaching experience is, is huge, and it is a lot different. Um, I think when you look at the first couple of years and the struggles that were there and obviously expected, but you look at the people that were brought on and hired uh, and the effectiveness that it had in regards to the football. Um, and, you know, there were struggles and the expectations. Uh, and I think the pressure that was put on Kalani to fulfill both the personal and the football uh, responsibility was very difficult and to ask a first-time head coach to do those things as friends or family can can be very 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 strenuous and so to kind of relieve the pressure by bringing in maybe not his closest friends or even maybe just acquaintances or people that he's you know coached with in the past he obviously wanted to make sure that he trusted them as people and that's why you see fessy on the staff that's why you see a rod on the staff obviously all extremely deserving of their jobs but there wasn't as much of a social pressure 
in, you know, in, in having them on the staff. Whereas before, I think he was still in a place of trying to uh, please, right, the people he loved and the people he cared about, which is a very, very difficult, difficult thing to do, especially when you have as much love for the people in your life as Kalani does, because there's very few people who love more than Kalani does. Oh, for sure. Uh, how bad do you think that BYU needed to win that game going into this game? So beating Washington State instead of being five and three, six and two going into this game, uh, it was huge. It was huge. I think it was bigger for the offense than it was the defense to be able to kind of get the ball rolling again, see where aspects of the game you know may have been slowed down uh, to really open that back up and gain confidence against a team like Washington State. You know, uh, I wish it would have been more, but it, I believe it was enough to really go in and, and be confident uh, this this week. Dylan Collins, Dylan Colley joining us, former BYU wide receiver. I am curious when you were uh, in uh, when you were playing for Bronco the first time. Did you ever see him as a coach who'd have a team throwing for more than four hundred yards per game and second in the country in passing yardage? Because that didn't really occur to me. <laughs> and and they had teams that threw the ball well, but they didn't have teams that throw the ball like this. Like yeah. 300 yards per game is a lot of yards. 350 is another step. 400, that, that's a massive number. Uh, and to be honest, no, I didn't. Um, I think the expectation for... I, this this genuinely shows what the ability that Bronco has as a, as a football coach is one of the best football coaches in all of football. Bronco has the ability to understand where the weaknesses are as a defensive mind, exploit those weaknesses for an offense, and then demand growth. And he's going to demand growth until it is up to his level of expectation. That is going to take time. But based off of where he's recruiting, who he has access to, the resources that he has available to him today, which was a lot different back in 2006, 2007, you know, 2012, right? The, the access that he has to the talent, to the resources and the money, and then his expectation of absolute perfection, uh, you know, the stats, yes. Are, are very surprising. Am I surprised that he was truly capable of achieving something to that level? No, I'm not surprised at all. How does a head coach balance discipline with at the same time making sure that the player knows he loves them? That is, that's a great, great question because it honestly depends on the personality. Bronco is not someone who is going to pull you to the side and have an extremely, you know, personable 20 to 30 minute conversation with you about your personal life. It may be five, it may be 10, right? When Bronco is laughing, he's, uh, you know, the guy really is a, a fun person to be around, right? Um, but because he demands a discipline in every facet and he stays consistent with that, it is very easy for players to understand that he isn't, you know, he's not a two-faced guy. He's extremely who he is in the public, is who he is in his personal life, uh, and he stays consistent and disciplined throughout every phase of his life. And so when you have that type of consistency, even if your personality may rub people the wrong way, it's exactly what 
is needed for the time and the place. Right? And so players know that when you have a chance to sit down with Bronco, you're going to feel his love and you're not in this worry, uh, worried environment because you feel like he's being different. Right? You just know, hey, this is who he is 100% of the time. Whereas Kalani, Kalani's going to sit down with you for 30 to 45 minutes and express his gratitude and love for you. Right. And he's going to do that through the questions he asks. He's going to do that through his enduring, endearing actions. He's going to do that through, uh, you know, showing the people around you and the people that you love, like your wife and, you know, daughter, uh, that he cares about them, that he knows them as well. So it's just the personality differences are, you know, on two ends of the spectrum. But the way that they show love to each other or, like, in their own separate ways is through that genuine honesty, trust, respect, all those, all those main things. So knowing these guys, it's interesting to both of us how they've chosen to build programs and how they need to build programs based on who they are. But there's a lot of people listening to this who just want to know who's going to win the game Saturday night. So Dylan, who's going to win the game Saturday night? And... I, I think I obviously I, it comes down to the way that the defense plays. It comes down to the way that the defense adjusts. It comes down to the way that they are able to stop the pass game. Um, to be honest, a lot of people may not like this, but I don't think it's going to take pressure. It's not going to take bringing the house. Really? Um, it is honestly going to take understanding assignment football defensively so that you are not exploited. Uh, because if you shy away from the assignment, right, and you try and roam or you try and play your own game, Bronco knows exactly how to take control of that. And if there's one person who's not going to let an atmosphere get in his way of being successful, is Bronco. Uh, so it, I am, I believe that this will be the toughest game of the year for them. No questions asked. If there is one game, I'm going to sit here and say, yeah, I think Virginia has the upper hand. I believe Virginia has the upper hand. Um, but my hope is that, obviously, BYU shines through and the defense can play assignment assignment sound and understand what gaps need to be filled and what holes in the defensive uh, backfield need to, be, need, need to be contained so that they don't have the opportunity to throw for 400 yards. If we hold them to 275, anywhere between 275 and 315, I think we, we win the game. All right, well, we'll uh, look for that for sure, yeah, because it's obvious you look at their stats and they're throwing the ball like crazy, and I'm wondering, uh, you know, the the rush three, drop eight, uh, just for some reason that gets under fans' skin. It does. <laughs> of all the defenses you can and, play. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. I dare a soul, okay, no, no matter how long you've played football, in today's, day, in today's game where everything is based on reads, from the RPO to the receivers, very rarely do you have a route that is just run, hey, you're going to run a post at eight yards and you're going to hit the angle. Everything is dependent upon what the defensive backfield and the linebackers are doing. As you see three down and drop eight, all of your reads that you've been taught are now confused and muddled, Right. So to be able to read the defensive backfield when they are dropping eight, your routes become, because chances are you're running two routes per play, depending upon what the defense is, defense is playing. 
when you're dropping eight, it becomes far more difficult, far more difficult to make a decision on what route you're going to be running and adjusting to. And so that, that hinders a lot of receivers and it hinders a lot of players, including quarterbacks, to be able to read that type of defense. And so that's where I think if you have a team that's running for 400 yards, right, a key example of that, 2018 against Hawaii, a team that was averaging over 300 yards, right, my senior year, Hawaii came to BYU, and I think we shut them down for 275 yards because we plugged up every single one of their reads and confused their receivers just by dropping eight. And that is the type of stuff that is, is critical to an offense that's throwing for 400 yards. There's a lot of numbers you can add up that when teams travel two time zones, they don't play nearly as well. And it is exacerbated when a Western team has to play way early in the morning on their body clock or when an Eastern team plays a game on their body clock runs from like 10 p.m. until 1.30 in the morning. And that's what yeah. Virginia is going to have to do. This game will probably kick off at 10.30 on their body clocks. How big a factor was that? You played in Hawaii, so you did a lot of these. Basically, every game you played, somebody was way out of kilter. How big an impact did you feel when you were having to do it? The, the, night, games, the night games, you're really unaffected. The night games are, are more fun. It kind of takes you back to when you were a kid and the lights went on and you got to go and play football. The morning games, going the opposite way, is one of the more brutal experiences. I mean, you hear about teams waking up at 4 or 5 in the morning for pregame breakfast and walkthrough, which I think is absolutely asinine. Um, <laughs> by the time game time starts at 10, 11 o'clock, people are just exhausted and can't play. Uh, but the ability that you have to wake up early and go and play I mean, if you can do that and play effectively uh, after switching two time zones, then more power to you because that's hands down. Uh, the night games really don't affect you that bad. It's the morning games that are killers. Dylan Colley, former BYU receiver, and I think now we've tapped into your knowledge of all the coaches we need to tap into, Dylan. Good work. I wish you could have played hey, for like yo. 10 more coaches. I think I think I may have set a record, but I'll, uh, I wish I could have more. <laughs> All right, well, we'll talk to you again next week, and uh, thanks for coming on. Enjoy the game. Yep. Thanks, Jeff. Bye. BYU in Virginia, Saturday night, 8.15, which, of course, we all know means 8.20, 8.25, eight 8.30, starting on ESPN News. You must have said body clock five, six times. Body clock. Let me you hear, hear your, your body, body clock. clock. Yeah, Olivia Your body clock? <laughs> And that game will be going the same time as the Utes. Utes are supposed to kick off at 8, Cougars at 8.15, ESPN and ESPN2. So commence channel surfing or multiple screens, whatever you like to do. My body clock is 2 a.m. at all times. <laughs> I'm simply known as last call. <laughs> it's a quarter after... It's quarter after one. One. I'm a little drunk and I need you now. <laughs> Don't believe that hasn't been said to me. I said I can only be in one place. Flagstaff, hello. I'm going to be at one... One place at one time, so sorry, you're going to have to wait. Wait till like a quarter to two. I'll get there. DJ and PK, <laughs> we'll get you up to speed if you join the show late. We'll do that next. Stay with us. Ready, ready, ready. 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 
It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes return home to the friendly confines of Rice-Eccles Stadium for a key Pac-12 South Division battle against Chip Kelly and UCLA. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! Ah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 9 a.m. Slacker Radio Headlines brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Lee's Heating and Air, home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call Lee's now for the $59 furnace tune-up special or visit them online at leesheatac.com. We have discussed many things today, PK. The Utah Jazz have a game tonight against the Denver Nuggets. Nuggets are going back-to-back. Yeah. Not that back-to-back in Game 4 is all that exhausting. Guys' batteries haven't, uh, haven't run down yet. It's a bigger deal at Game 40 than it is at Game 4. Thurl Bailey let me know that in no uncertain terms once. But nonetheless, they're back-to-back. And they're coming off a loss to Cleveland. They're 2-1. and one. That was a nice win they had over Phoenix. Bad loss to Cleveland. So now, what do you expect out of the Nuggets? I expect the Jazz to win. The way I look at it going forward, unless there's substantial changes, it'll all be about the Jazz. If the Jazz do what they're capable of doing, they will win. Now, obviously, they're not going 82-0 and by any stretch. Dang it! Took if, away my next line. If they were to going to have 20 losses, we would consider that a phenomenal season. So they're probably going to have more than 20 losses. Basketball and shooting is fickle and... You know, you you never know early in the season, late in the season, if a guy has a cold or whatever is going on in his personal life, so he's not able to to play to his best of his abilities. Those things, those happen, and you can't really sweat those because this is the NBA and games come at you so fast. Uh, but I I'm more focused on the Jazz, but maybe particularly earlier in the season, because you know, see where they're at, and again, watch uh, Whiteside, uh, which is. Really about the only, right now, foreseeing until Gay gets back, the only new guy who has a chance to make a substantial contribution in a limited role, if that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? A substantial contribution in a limited role is a little bit like, I need flexibility within a structured system. I I got you. I like it. Because he's not going to play uh, some big minutes, say, so he's going to play important minutes. Right. Some people would say Pascal, but you're figuring Rudy Gay is going to get his minutes well, anyway. I, I think so, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I am curious what they have in him. If for no other reason, then he is a different body type, and for a team that at times needs to be more physical, and I haven't watched him play enough to know this, but just when he checks in and runs on the court, his body type suggests, well, here's a guy who could be pretty physical. You're talking about Rudy Gay. I'm talking about Pascal. Who oh, is Pascal. Yeah. Oh. He is thick. No, yeah, Rudy I, Gay I've watched forever. That's I think what I'm saying. That's I, I think I know what Rudy Gay is. I don't even know that he's going to be in the rotation. Though. I agree. Yeah. But I'm still curious when he comes in, well, what can he give them? I think the one thing we all need to be open to is we know the rotation that's coming back, right? We know those guys. And we know the guys who are supposed to be plugged in, but everything doesn't go according to form. And whether it's someone performing poorly or someone's performing surprisingly well or injuries that force other guys to step up and you got to be ready, your check's clear on the 1st and 15th, you know, it won't go according to plan. And I know the plan is, hey, these seven or eight guys are back and these two guys are new and then this should be what it looks like. 
but it never goes according to plan. Stuff always gets scrambled. So I am curious, all right, does Forrest shoot it a little better? What do they have in Butler? Pascal, okay, what can he give them? I don't know if any of these guys are going to be called on. I figure somebody's going to be, and what do they got? Uh, and maybe the answer is they got nothing. Yeah, but, but see, again, I, mean, I think if you get down to that, that means something else happened. So right, uh, but I think something. Well, I'm ultimately not going to worry about that until it happens. Whereas I know Whiteside is going to be yeah, in the he's mix. He's going to play. Yeah, he's in the mix. Now here's the other thing: Rudy's come up with these two mammoth games, twenty and twenty-one boards in a game, which are huge numbers. Here's the night they really need it. Uh, I think they need it all the time, but I think that's the his Joker. Position. The Joker they, can rebound. Right, but this is at another level. I mean, he's I mean, averaged... Denver's a better team. Denver's a better team. He's averaged 13 and a half boards each of the last two years. That's his career high. Right. 20 is uh, a couple levels higher. Yeah, but how do you rebound tonight against the MVP, who we know can rebound, and we know second shots are a killer. We've seen Jokic get second shots and punish the Jazz. So it takes zero I think imagination. I going to do what he does. Is this what he does now? 20? That's... That's ridiculous. Well, you have but, to have the other team miss shots for you to rebound. True story. So he's not in control of whether the other team misses shots a lot. Uh, they're coming in. Uh, Jokic is coming in off a good game shooting the ball. Yeah, yeah it's fine. Uh, but the other guys yeah, were... He had a lot of boards and points. He didn't have that many assists. Right. The other guys were struggling to make shots, which may have hurt his assists. He throws a great pass. Right, and exactly. Then they missed yeah, the they shot. They just shot 40%. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Green came off the bench with a 2 of 7, and Porter was 4 of 14, and Gordon was 5 of 14. So That really doesn't surprise me that There's much, three though. guys who really struggled. And if they can get those three guys to struggle again tonight, then the Jazz will be in great shape. I don't look at Porter as a consistent shooter. I look at him as a streaky shooter, and I don't look at Aaron Gordon as a shooter at all. Uh, he's an athletic guy around the rim and can do those types of things. But I think the way the Jazz are set up is Rudy has to have big numbers in rebounding because uh, – you're asking a six four guy in O'Neal to mm-hmm. rebound and, and Bogdanovich, that's just not his strength. He got a good offensive rebound the other night and I was surprised. He got it in traffic, took it away from a guy. Good. Yeah. But that's not why not he's in the NBA. what we see a lot of, and that's why I noticed it. It's not like this is something he's doing every few possessions. All right, so you got the Jazz and the Nuggets tonight. We spent a little time on that. Rudy Gay is the only guy in the injury report that went out on social media yesterday. Um Monday Night Football, man, Seattle 2-5. and five. We don't like to see the NFL season so long, and obviously it's getting longer this year, 17 games, not 16. Uh, Seattle's not done yet, but they're pretty close at 2-5. and five. Well, I mean, they got a major injury. Yeah. No Russell Wilson, no offense, hit on one big play, had about 140 yards the rest of the game, had the 180-yard-plus touchdown. Saints win 13-10. They improve to 4-2, and two, and they have got the Packers coming up this weekend, so that'll be a big game. Saints do not have the Packers. Excuse me, Saints have the Bucks. <laughs> Packers have Arizona Thursday night. Uh, that will be 7-0 Arizona against 6-1 Green Bay, and Devontae Adams went on the COVID-19 list yesterday. He needs two negative tests 24 hours apart, and he'll be good to go. Hopefully he'll be good to go. I want both those teams full strength Thursday night. Thursday night games tend to be... Division rivalries, okay, a little on the ho-hum side. This is a big game. It's two Super Bowl contenders. Yeah. And I believe in the Packers as a Super Bowl contender more than I believe in the Cardinals, even though the Cardinals have the better record. But I've seen the Packers get to the NFC final a couple of years in a row, and obviously they've done it before that, excluding those two years. So, But the Cardinals, maybe, maybe they are for real. That'd be great. 
Well, you can be for real and not go to the Super Bowl. I mean, this, there's a lot of good teams in the NFC. They can't all get there. Uh, the Bucks look very good at 6-1. and one, And the Rams are one-loss team that looks very good. The Bucks. Packers, Cowboys, four one-loss teams, plus 5-0 and oh Arizona. I think I'm going to go see the Cardinals in a couple of weeks. Nice. Who are they going to play? When are you going to be there? It is the day after the Utah U of A game. Perfect. Might as well double dip while you're on the road with the Utes. Correct. And uh, I've been in deep conversations with someone you know. (laughs) About getting free tickets. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Hook me up. (laughs) He's checking, he's told me. Checking? Yes. Cardinal tickets are tough to come by. I bet, right? Turns out when an NFL team gets on a roll, they get real popular. Remember that unpopular NFL team that was winning? Yeah, me neither. (laughs) The only possibility will be the Chargers, and they will give away enough tickets to fill it up if necessary. But other than that, if you win, it'll be full. Yeah, and they got the L.A. thing going on to where you can be fans of the other teams, too. There's so many folks in that region who are from other places, and they bring their loyalties I mean, you go. We to see like, that in Sunbelt markets. We see it in Arizona. Yeah, yeah you go to. Yeah. Uh, How do the Cowboys do, do oh, when they show up in Arizona? <laughs> right, it's absolutely massive. Green Bay does the same thing. Yeah, there's uh, some sports bars in uh, Hermosa, right by the water. Mm-hmm. And Sundays, you'll see a plethora of yeah. folks. Yeah. Uh, bringing whether it's their Packer or Steelers or yep Cowboys. Uh, Whomever, wherever they've come from, because they're coming from everywhere. Chicago Bears. Life in the Sunbelt markets, man. People move in from all over the place, and they come see their teams when they show up. So you're probably going to see the Panthers then, it looks like. I ha- Yeah, it is the Panthers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. My uh, wife's family went out to L.A. last week because they're Detroit Lion fans. Which is unfortunate right now. But <laughs> well, it's been unfortunate for like sixty years. But they—that's where they grew up, and so uh, my, would be my wife's nephews, mine mm-hmm. through marriage, and two of them—they're in their twenties now—and they went out to the game with their parents and wives to watch the the Lions play the uh, Rams, which was a good game actually. On Sunday. Yes, the Lions got out to a lead and the Rams had to work to get back into it and, yeah. and get the win. Mm-hmm. It was effortless for the Rams the first few weeks, and they're still winning, but it's taken a little more work. Got a loss mixed in there, had Cardinal, a couple Cardinal's of them. tougher wins. Yeah. The Jets have lost Zach Wilson. The good news for the former BYU quarterback, it's a PCL strain, not a tear. They think he's out two to four weeks. That's going to hurt their playoff chances. Which were already gone. <laughs> the Jets are bringing in Joe Flacco. There, he made a trade with. That's going to hurt their playoff chances. <laughs> and Flacco will give him a little depth and a veteran for Wilson yeah. to, to learn bit, from. Testaverde wasn't available. Apparently not. Doesn't Flacco remind you of Testaverde? <laughs> Big Italian guy who's been in the league for a long time. Uh yeah, a little bit. I don't think Flacco threw as many picks, but. But Testaverde was like, was he like the last of the gunslingers? Like, I'm making a big throw, and it might be a touchdown, it might be a pick, but I'm making it. <laughs> and now guys are more careful with the ball. They were making that point during the Monday Night Football game with Jameis Winston. He didn't have great stats, but he didn't have a turnover, and they won the game. Well, and they won ugly, it was but they won the game. like crazy, yeah, so right. it was going to be hard to throw. Yep. He has the rep for throwing a bunch of picks. Yep. 
you add all those together. Basically, Seattle, or I should say New Orleans, the only way they're going to lose that game is if they screwed it up with Russell Wilson being out. And they weren't going to screw it up. He didn't turn it over. They didn't screw it up. They got the win there for It's about winning. And if they're going to compete with the Bucks to win the division, they got a chance to beat them next weekend, and then they'll be right in the hunt. And if they lose, then the Bucks run away with the division. Uh, we talked a little bit about Matt Wells. That happened during yesterday's show, though. He is out after two and a half seasons, and one of the full seasons was a COVID season that wasn't a full season. In and out at Texas Tech in a heartbeat. Seems so early to just let him go so quickly. He didn't get a shot to really even build a program. No. Got to get through four years, get to your first senior class, didn't get to do it. And who's going to be your guy that you needed to have it done today? You know what I mean? And I have no information on this, and you clearly had someone um, who at least has some information because we weren't even clear if he was still working for the AD who hired him. Turns out he is. So there are people out there who have more information on this, but honestly, when I saw this and when I saw the numbers, he's 5-3 and three this year, 13-17. and 17, It's like somebody wants him out, and he's got a chance to get some big wins here in the last month because the four teams are playing are all ranked. And if he went 2-2 two and two in those four, he'd be on his way, and they don't even want to give him that chance. Then why he, hire him? I know. And, and Fine, you don't want to give him a chance, but on why the hire surface, him in the first place? probably go 1-3 or 0-4. Oh but you don't know until you play the games. Crazy stuff happens in college football. Let's see what happens. Well, and somebody in Lubbock said, no, let's not see what happens. Let's I mean, get rid of it. Whatever you want is probably going to be there next month, too. And the names that are thrown out there are the names you would think. They all have ties, to, if not Texas Tech, to Texas football. Plus, you could, hire, you could do all your backdoor, backroom interviewing while Wells was still the coach. It's been done before. Yes. It's a little easier if you just make the announcement and then you do it. But it's been done the other way. But it's not like it's hard to do it that way. It's not. It's not. You're going through third parties and all that. Everybody knows how to play the game. Right. I didn't talk to anybody. Did you fax anybody? <laughs> yeah, whatever it might did, be. Did any? Did your agent or someone else in the agency talk to anybody? Easily done. But that's, that's college football today. After the Washington State story with Rolovich out because of the vaccine mandate there, uh, it's not exactly the same thing, but it's close. Auburn, this is not a state. This is a university deal. Uh, but Auburn University mandated the December 8th deadline for all university employees to be fully vaccinated. Head coach Brian Harson declined to disclose whether or not he received the vaccine or whether he planned to receive it, sticking to his long-running message going back to the summer that he would not discuss it. He tested positive for the virus in August, but that also, while maybe providing a hint, there are certainly breakthrough infections, so that doesn't necessarily mean he isn't vaccinated either. So is another high-profile coach at a Power 5 school, going to be out. Rolovich at Wazoo, and now Harson, who's in his first year at Auburn after leaving Boise State. What is going to happen there? I don't know. Yeah, I think they're off to a 5-2 and two start down there. Well, fire them anyway. 5-2? and two? Come on. World Series starts tonight. Atlanta at Houston, 6 o'clock on Fox. Houston's got the better record and more postseason experience. Atlanta was a 500 team in like August 6th or 8th or something like that. And now the last two months, two months plus, they've won two-thirds of their games. Well, they got that Hall of Famer Eddie Rosario. (laughs) (laughs) He can't make an out. Rounding into Hall of Fame form recently. When we come back, your feedback. Stay with us. Preach, Reverend Kenahan, preach. 
So now we get to experience the incredible basketball insights of Holly Rowe instead of, say, an NBA veteran like Matt Harpering. Thanks, Ryan Smith, for always improving our jazz experience. <laughs> yeah, improve it. That man doesn't like change very much. No, he doesn't. Uh, it's Thurl in that role most of the time. Thurl's kid was getting married. So he missed that game in Sacramento. Yeah. So Thurl had a had a family wedding needed to be at. So it'll be Thurl. <laughs> family wedding versus work. It'll be Come Thurl on. In that role. Now they did have two analysts, which is highly unusual. But they had two analysts splitting games. So yes, it would have been last year. It would have been Matt. Matt could have been there if Thurl couldn't have been there. You know that kind of stuff. So, but that's not going to be Holly's role. Holly Rose role night in and night That's out. That's a tongue twister. And I, clearly, I failed it. <laughs> the also. role of Holly Rose. <laughs> First time around, I don't blame how you didn't. Yeah. So, well, I maintain my status of you're I, watching for the game, not for the announcers, anyway. Right there, you go. And then Holly was in L.A. I assume that was because of Oregon, UCLA, and college football. She had some football responsibilities there, and then. As often happens in these days, travel was all messed up, and she missed the first quarter of the game. And I thought Bowler Jack handled it yeah. just fine. Bowler, not his first rodeo. So, to me, it's the game. But for some folks, all that it stuff is the matters. Announcers. So yeah. be it. Yeah. You know, then whatever. Now we got people listening to us who have decided to take over this segment and take it in the direction they want to go in. Not something we've talked about today, but we're getting feedback on it, so we're going to hit it. PK, go ahead. Tom Hagen reschedule. Top five easiest remaining schedules in college football. Number one, Kentucky. Number two, Georgia. Number three, Utah. Number four, Clemson. Number five, Arizona State. Well, so it's because the conference is mediocre. The conference is mediocre and the division's worse than that. And Yeah, and, they, and <laughs> the Utes have two <laughs> games who bite. Yeah, and they just uh, Utah just got past the Oregon State game, obviously, which was one of the better teams left on their schedule. The conference schedule is what it is. What do you expect them to do? Right. And Kentucky and Georgia being two of the better teams in the SEC by record right now. What's What point is he making? I think the point is Utah ought to finish strong. However, Arizona State should as well. So there's not a lot of wiggle room. Yeah, but I mean, but 4-1 is strong. Mm-hmm. That ain't going to get it done if you're the Devils. Unless the Utes go two and three and two. Right. That tiebreaker looming large right now. Because you can see both teams losing a game. Oh, for they're, sure. They're both flawed. No question. But it's hard to see them losing two games because both teams are pretty good and their schedule isn't hard. Devils, the time we've been talking in this segment, they just got penalized twice <laughs> for holding. Herm was talking about that yesterday. I was listening. He says, you realize every game we're giving somebody 100 yards? <laughs> that is such a coach thing <laughs> to say. Why don't you do something yeah. about it? That's the whole field. You're giving them a whole field. You're giving yeah. them a massive drive. Right. If someone goes on a 99-yard touchdown drive, we come in and talk about it. That 99-yard touchdown drive. Kyle's awesome. got all the stats on when you start at your own one-yard line. What happens? You're not supposed to score. Right. They're huge. We've right. seen Army do it a couple of times in past seasons with like a 19-play, 99-yard drive, drive. And it's celebrated rare. for a week after. And, and it's it should it's be, rare. yeah. But that's that's Herm's point is they're giving away 100 yards, and those are 100 yards that are hard to come by. Yeah. So and until you clean that up, you're, you're gonna, going you're to the Vegas Bowl or the whatever bowl, the LA Bowl, the Sun Bowl. Yeah, they're all whatever. They all are in the same 
group. I mean, they're good for the kids to go play a game, and it's fun and all that stuff, but it's not the goal. They've got Washington State and USC at home, and then they go to Washington and Oregon State. Well, obviously, the Oregon State game is looking huge. Yeah, and Arizona in the finale. So if they but can they win three in a row before then? You fans are like, please, no. Yeah, Top they one. could. Screw one up. But you're talking about a team that just continually, they've got bullet holes in their feet. Because they've shot themselves. Until they clean it up. up. Why would you expect them yards. They're to giving do away anything? a yeah. length of the field drive. Uh, that Washington State game this, uh, this week, 1 o'clock on FS1. So that'll be on the same time that Utah State. Yeah, Herm's talking about getting at the stadium at 4. Dude, what are you getting there so early for? At 4 Mm a.m.? I listened to his press conference yesterday. What does he get there so early for? Sleep for another hour. Get there at 5. Well, during the week, he goes to work out, so he's got his workout done. Uh And for a 67, 60-year-old man... He's in great shape. He really is, yeah. Yeah. But he's an early riser anyway, but he feels like he needs to get there. He always gets there 5 hours early. So what would that be? From five hours early, like five hours on before game day. kickoff? On game day, yeah. Well, yeah. that would be 8 a.m. Right, but he feels like he needs, on game day, he feels like he needs to get there much earlier, wow. as you're saying. Because they don't have day games. No, certainly these don't are have very rare. Day these, are, these are very rare. But he's got one now. Yeah. And you'd fans are Washington State yeah. fans again this week. And you were telling me that they were 15-point favorites. I'm thinking, how could that possibly be? Because BYU struggled to beat them, and they lost to BYU. So why is this? It doesn't seem logical. Now, I don't want to I question totally, Vegas. I totally agree, because when we were talking about it, when the lines came out, I didn't think it was logical. I thought the logical line was about 7, no higher than 10. Agreed. But if you gave it a 6-10 to 10 range, somewhere in there, I thought that was... About right. And you would know the history of the rivalry better than I would. Is this a team that Washington State historically Mm -hmm. struggles with? Because we do see that in the conference where, for whatever reason, teams and the line has not moved. I just checked it. So should we go put 20,000 on the Cougars? Um, No. (laughs) You can if you want. I'm not here to judge. But I told you that once a long time ago. I put 20 bucks on a game and I couldn't enjoy the game, and I won. And my uncle, who had no money on the game, told me at halftime I was going to win, even though I was losing, but he could see where the game was headed. And I'm like, why am I doing this? This is torture. Yeah, but you're going to give me 15 points and 100 yards? (laughs) (laughs) I I get the logic. I just don't have the stomach for it. But there is a whole theory out there that the NFL... There's very few games, and a lot of wise guys looking for an edge, so there really aren't many. And then in college, if you follow a couple leagues closely, you'll find lines that are just wrong. And you'll know it because you follow them closely. I maybe this follow, is I don't follow lines closely. Maybe this is one of them. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.